All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Welcome back to another episode of The Real Sober Mom Chats. It's like The Real Housewives, but without all the crazy, insane drama that alcohol causes. You guys asked, I listened, you love these stories so much. These are real moms who are right in the middle of their journey. Some are still sober curious, some are sober, some have some time under their belt, and they share it all with us. For a lot of them, this is the first time that they're talking about their journey, and they do it so beautifully and and openly and honestly, and they are vulnerable, and they are showing up to share their story in hopes that it will reach another mom out there. And so if you want to be on the podcast and share your story, come over on Patreon, The Sober Mom Life on Patreon. I will link it in the show notes and sign up. We would love to hear your story.
Okay, enjoy the episode and happy Friday. Okay, Paige. Welcome. Hi. You know what? As I was getting ready for this, I was like, okay, I have to thank Paige for being our like Discord to Patreon <laughs> leader. You're like the tech. I, I know you didn't ask to for this role, but you're like our you're our tech person now. I'm like, I don't know. I need to ask Paige. Maybe Paige can help you get set up on Discord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to help. Wait, do you do something in tech? No, not at all. I um I am in manufacturing, purchasing and logistics, supply chain stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, logistics, your brain it kind of like works like that then, right? Yeah, my, I mean, my background, I'm originally an engineer, so it, okay. my brain does work like that. Okay. Yeah. Your brain works in the opposite way mine does because mine is just <laughs> I I hear these things and I just zone out and I'm like, "Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be paying attention and I just don't." Well, welcome. I'm excited to hear your story. I see you, you know, you're on our group all the time, but I love these little sit-downs because then I can like actually learn backgrounds and stories and it's my favorite. So, where should we start? Should we got to start before sobriety, right? We got to talk right. about alcohol. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, my story is kind of a little bit different than I think your t- well, there's no real typical story with alcohol, let's be honest, yeah. but I was the quote-unquote like good girl um yeah. throughout high school. Didn't drink, didn't go to the parties. Um, I was super dork. I was in the marching band and choir and yeah. chemistry class and all the dorky things. My group of friends that I ran with didn't drink. Actually, it's funny. I tell a story about literally the first time I got drunk was legally at the age of 18 in Scotland. I did an exchange program over there and was visiting the gal I did an exchange program with uh between high school and college. Okay. She was like shocked that I'd never really like drank or gotten drunk. And obviously at, at the legal drinking age over there is 18 and I legally got drunk. So you drunk were like, yes. Okay. I am allowed. I will drink and I will get drunk yeah. in an orderly fashion under the law. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You were definitely a good girl. And how was that? Do you remember the first time getting drunk? Like what that was like? I went pretty hard. I'll be honest. I did not feel great the next day. Probably because of that, I didn't really drink a whole lot early in my college career. Like as I kind of got closer to 21, I did like start the whole party scene and your kind of typical like going to fraternity parties. And yeah, I was in marching band in college too, which there's kind of a silly <laughs> drinking. Say that? Hold on. You said that too <laughs> apologetically. You're like, I was in a, that's great. I no, mean, I loved it. Yeah, it was good. Yes. Like anytime the marching band comes out, like in a Paraders. It's like, I don't think that's dorky. I mean, I think that's so cool. I love it. Okay. So your husband would disagree. <laughs> he thinks it's really? the dorkiest thing thinks, ever. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Okay. Thanks. Wait. And at the marching band, you guys had drinking games? Well, yeah. Like parties after football oh, okay. games. Not while and... you're like marching. No, not you're while You're like, everybody drink on, <laughs> well, on right. <laughs> you know, I, it would not shock me if friends reached out to me and said, yeah, no, we drank while we were at the game like <laughs> that wouldn't shock me I personally didn't I was in actually the color guard so like spinning the flags and doing dance routines so kind of had to be a little sober for that okay 
So you kind of started as you got to 21 and you were like, okay, let's see what this is about. Yep. Kind of ramped up from there. Um, Again, I would never have considered myself like a heavy drinker kind of through college. My drinking mirrored my peers throughout college. And then it really kind of started escalating once I like left college, started in my career. I've been in uh, manufacturing my whole entire career, engineer by trade. And it's a high intensity environment to be in manufacturing. So I would kind of that work hard, play hard adage definitely would like do long days, 12 hour shifts, um, working in a manufacturing environment, which is just hard mentally and physically kind of during my single time after college, like the weekends were just like complete decompression, which involved a lot of alcohol. Now looking back on it, I was like, that's ridiculous. But yeah, it is what it is. My story is kind of similar where it's just like, yeah, you like kind of work to be able to go out and then like spend your money on alcohol and party on the weekends. Mm-hmm, for sure. Right. And I think especially in my early 20s out of college, I didn't I was in a state I'd never been before. I, I'm originally from Virginia. I moved to Iowa. Like I didn't know anyone. So it was kind yeah. of a good avenue to like connect with people. It was like, oh, you go out to the bars and you do drinking events and you go to breweries and do all those things. So it kind of was a way for me to connect. I ended up moving from Iowa to Oklahoma and that's where I met my husband. And so again, our relationship was kind of centered around alcohol. So, I mean, going to football games, tailgating, drinking, um, watching basketball at the bar, whatever, going to breweries with couples. And um, that's kind of, again, was kind of normal. And that's, I think, where it really started escalating for me was in motherhood. I had the unfortunate um, circumstances where I really struggled with my fertility. So my husband and I tried for several years uh, naturally and then with uh, medication uh, to no avail and ended up having to go through IVF to have both of our boys, which for anyone who's gone through that, uh, it is very mentally and physically challenging. (laughs) All of the media and everything's like, oh, do this to make you feel better. And so the drinking kind of came with that. Again, obviously, like once I was pregnant, I didn't drink. But then like right afterwards, again, the challenges of motherhood, I struggled with postpartum anxiety um, Mm -hmm. with both of my boys, went undiagnosed with my first and then finally got diagnosed with my second, which again, kind of played in with the pandemic too. I had my second literally May of 2020. um, So really in the throes of the pandemic, postpartum anxiety, got put on an antidepressant um, to kind of help with that. But again, kind of self-medicated with wine and one glass a night to kind of unwind and get away from the pandemic and work and motherhood kind of turned into a bottle, turned into, why not two? Or let's do a box of wine that you really can't keep track of, of how much you're drinking. And it got kind of bad to a point where I was trying to hide it a little bit from my husband um, and he would catch me and What did you do? What was, how did you try to hide it? I mean, I'd try and be like putting it into inconspicuous glasses and again, get the boxes of wine so you wouldn't notice like the, the bottle or two that I had gone through in the week or whatever. 
he has, and still does, has those kind of funny rules that you hear about with people who try and moderate their drinking where he does not drink through the work week. And so like he would like to impose those rules on me, which I'm a very willful person. Um, And so like I'm the kind of person like you tell me what I can't do and I'm going to prove you that I can. So it kind of fed into that a little bit. And again, with alcohol, it being an addictive substance, like the more I I drank, the more it kind of just escalated. Um, And the fact that I was kind of hiding it kind of had that little bit of freedom, if you will, to like just do whatever I wanted. Mm. Um, So I kind of had no stop. I'm very grateful that I never really had a rock bottom story. Reflecting back on it, I got pretty close. Uh, Like there's definite times where like I was so intoxicated and quote unquote trying to hide it from my husband. Not very well. Um, He'd call me out. We'd have massive fight. Definitely not there with the kids. Not really present. Thankfully, nothing that ever posed a safety risk or any like major repercussions on my job, but definitely had like low moments where I'm at work hungover, like trying my hardest not to fall asleep at my desk. So again, never truly hit rock bottom, but we're pretty close. That's kind of my drinking story. Got kind of ramped up through the pandemic and through motherhood. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you're so not alone in that. I hope that that's the message that comes across if you listen to the podcast and when you're in the meetings and, you know, that I think that just the pandemic and the pandemic response and the shutdowns and the fear and the 24-7 fear, right? The ticker along the TV and just like you having a brand new baby and your village is gone overnight and all the stuff that we always talk about. It's like... We needed an escape from that because you can't live in fear 24-7. You just can't. And then also with postpartum anxiety, I went through that. I went through that with my first. And mine brought with it kind of OCD and intrusive thoughts and all of that scary stuff. And like that, I mean, if anyone is battling that, like, yes, get help, right? right? Absolutely. Because like there is help. And so for you to be going through all of this, having a newborn and a toddler then, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that in itself is like, oh, holy shit, now I have two? Like the transition from one to two is a lot, right? Yes, it is. And then to be going through a pandemic and still not knowing, we still didn't know you know, should we be afraid? How afraid should we be? Are we supposed to be washing our groceries? Like, <laughs> what is the, right? Like, we didn't know anything. Yeah, It's it's hard to think about that looking back from what, because of everything we know now. But when you put yourself back in May 2020, I mean, it was a lot of fear for all of us. Right. And then you having a baby, you having postpartum anxiety, all of these things, it's like it just makes total sense that then you would lean on alcohol when everyone has told us that it will help, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that it will it will help anxiety and that it will help all of these things that we now know is a lie and is marketing and it's a trick. But when you don't know that yet, like that's not a weakness in you that you were like, yeah, because you needed help mm-hmm. and you needed to escape. Yep. Right? Yeah. You know, my story is similar too in that there's a lot of just not yet, right? And it's the not yet. Like, well, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Like, my kids were safe. 
and they had never been unsafe with me yet. But I think had I kept drinking, I mean, that's just, you see that happen and there's just a whole lot of not yet's, right? And if you can stop before the not yet and before that happens, that's the key. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's what kind of kept me in my cycle and my, um, uh, as long as I did, because it's like, oh, it's that culture adage of black and white, right? It's either you're a normal drinker and you're fine, or you hit rock bottom and you are drinking out of a paper bag on the side of the road. And so like, I had not hit my not yet. So it was like, oh, okay, then I'm fine, right? So just keep going and the addiction continues. And and that's kind of how I consider my drinking story is I, I definitely own the fact that I was addicted, but I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I come from a family of alcoholics, not directly. My my parents don't really drink, but like aunts and uncles and kind of distant relatives have always had heard stories about, oh, you, you got to be careful because you've got alcoholism in your genes, which after learning a lot about it, you're like, okay, that's not really a thing. It's just an addictive substance. <laughs> right. Maybe the addiction component, like that we can become more addicted quicker is a thing genetically. I don't know. I have to have someone on about that right. because I'm I'm confused about that too. I, I think that, yeah, alcoholism, whatever that is, does not run in the family because who knows, who the hell knows what that is, mm-hmm. but there are learned things, right? right. And if we we, we learn how to cope with emotions. And if we see our parents, which your parents didn't drink, but if we grow up in a household where our parents are drinking instead of coping with emotions, like you learn, that is completely learned behavior. Right. And so of course that's going to affect us. Absolutely. I have this really distinct memory of like the first couple times I like tried to quit or like pair back went to like one AA meeting online and I came out of the bedroom because my husband had the kids and came out of the bedroom and I was like, that was really uncomfortable and that was weird. And my husband's like, yeah, you're not an alcoholic. You're fine. And again, now, now almost over 10 months into sobriety, I'm like looking back on that moment. Yeah. Awesome. I'm proud of myself. (laughs) Yes. We'll get to that too. We got to talk about the good stuff. Absolutely. But yeah, looking back on that, I was like, oh, that actually like kept me drinking. And then there was another moment where like, again, I had gone a few weeks stints without drinking and I was kind of being a little bit mopey at dinner and my husband was like, just have a glass of wine. It's fine. And then I did. And then my husband say, Oh, I've, uh, to our kids, Oh, daddy's got his drinking buddy back and like oh, stuff no. like that. Yeah. And again, it just yeah. kind of keeps you trapped in the cycle of going back to it. Yeah, it does. Because that's what we've been taught. Like if you haven't lost everything and once you step out of that cycle, And you're like, wait, I was just waiting for things to get bad, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, that's the cycle that you can be in. It's like, well, I'm not that. Like when you were in the AA meeting, you're like, yes, I'm not that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm hearing stories. They don't resonate with me. I have not lost custody. I don't have a DUI. I'm not drinking in the morning. My hands aren't shaking. Like there are so many reasons that we can point to that we should, should, quote unquote, should continue drinking, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of stepping out of that completely and throwing that to the side and saying, what is alcohol doing in my life? How does it affect me? How does it make me feel? What is it promising? Is it delivering on the promise, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And generally. 
The answer is no. No, no. Generally, the answer is uh, no, it's not. <laughs> so when you decided, when you were like, okay, wait, I know I'm not that. Like I know that I don't want to go to AA and I don't, but you didn't like the cycle you were in. How did you decide to stop? It's kind of, again, I not quite a rock bottom story, but kind of got yeah. close. My husband one night had caught me drinking while I was doing like meal prep and cooking. And that was kind of like my sh big shtick was like, I, I do this meal prep thing on Sundays. And that was kind of my unwind time. Um, I love cooking, inevitably drink a bottle of wine by myself uh, while I had my kind of me time in the kitchen. And again, he had his own rules of not drinking before a work day. So I would hide it because I was like, eh, this is my thing. I want to do it. And he caught me, kind of became this big blow up fight. And then kind of just really started to examine it myself, opened up to my counselor about it. She helped me kind of talk through the emotions that I was feeling around my addiction and how that was affecting my life as a mom, as a wife, in my job talked to my parents about it too, opened up to them about it and just kind of decided to take a look at my drinking and dove straight into sobriety. And at that point, after kind of having a few fits of off and on, um, uh, probably like the six months leading up to that incident and then just dove straight in and haven't looked back since. And that was uh, June 13th of 2022. That's amazing. It sounds to me like what I kept thinking when I was listening to that is like you started telling the truth. Yeah. And I think really like choosing your counselor, choosing to really just open up and examine, as you put it, and to your parents, like that's huge. A lot of us, I think a lot of the time when we start to think, okay, maybe alcohol isn't what I thought it was, generally we keep it in and there's a lot of turmoil inside and us trying to figure it out on the inside, right? right? And we're kind of alone in it and we're like in our head. And just you really like speaking out and like figuring these things out loud, I think is huge. Like I think that for you to do that so early on had to be super helpful. Yeah, it was helpful and hard at the same time. I'm a perfectionist by nature, very type A. So like really like self-examining and putting your quote unquote defects on blast was very uncomfortable. But again, now 10 months down the road, I think it was absolutely necessary to kind of get me where I am today. Totally. And you say it's hard. I think it's the hardest thing. I, I think it's the hardest thing, especially when we're so used to not going there. Right. You know, we have busy lives. We have a lot going on and we don't want to slow down and we don't want to look because it's shameful and all of this stuff. We have so many excuses not to look at ourselves and our relationship with alcohol, right? right. I think it's the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you did it so early on is for sure – what propelled you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then did you start learning the truth? Because you started learning the truth about like your relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Did you start learning the truth about alcohol on its own and what that was? Yeah. So I used a couple different tools, if you will, in my toolbox. Did a bunch of research and Googling because obviously I had not I did about of AA meetings. It wasn't for me. Tried to kind of do some research on what other 
options there were. Stumbled across Tempest, which was a really great tool in my toolbox on my at the start of my sobriety journey. It's actually funny. I joined Tempest before I read Quit Like a Woman. Oh, really? Hollywood Occurs book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of went a little bit backwards. Most people will have read Holly's book and then joined Tempest. I just kind of stumbled across Tempest and then then read the book. Yeah, just listened to a bunch of Quitlet, came across your podcast really early on in um, my sobriety journey. Again, looking at podcasts and Googling like what other mom sobriety, like the search words and yours came up. I think you had only had like three posts at the time I found your podcast. Yeah, because I think I started when like maybe I think I started the podcast like June 2022, right? So yeah, that was like very early on. Yeah. In addition to Tempest, I also occasionally would attend some in-person meetings with a group called Smart Recovery. They're a little different than AA, more kind of along the lines of like owning your own sobriety um, rather than necessarily like the blanket. You have no strength to alcohol, that whole thing. Um, so it, it's similar to Tempest's uh, mindset. Um, so I liked that. At the end, I, I kind of weaned myself off, not wean, but like got myself off of that. It's because at first it was good to hear other people's stories, but then again, most of their stories didn't really resonate with me. So I went to that for a handful of months in my early sobriety, just kind of keep me on the path that I was on through the tough months because those first three, four, five months is really, really hard. But yeah, so that's kind of how I went about it. Really been trying to focus on the the positives, the affirmations. Um, listening to your podcast has been a light for me uh, in my sobriety journey. I'm so glad. Kind of all those all those things all rolled into one. One size does not fit all for sobriety, for sure. No, it's so true. And you don't even know what you like. I didn't know what I wanted and what I needed and what my sobriety was going to be and what I wanted it to feel like. So you kind of just like throw everything at the wall, right? I like mm-hmm. that. That's what you did too. You were like, sure, like let's try AA, let's try the smart recovery, let's try Tempest, let's try podcast, Quitlet, like. And that's really what it is. And some things fall off and some things you're like, yeah, this doesn't sit well with me. Oh, what's this? You know, let me dive down this path a little bit deeper. I love that. I Mm -hmm. I think that that's the best. And then you can really like chart your own way. There's just no one size fits all in this thing. Exactly. Exactly. And so how is it with your husband? Because I know, does he still drink? He does. And that's okay. that's a little bit of a challenge still. You know, that's generally what people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Like when, especially I think women, and I'm generalizing, but if a woman stops drinking and her partner or husband is still drinking, it can be hard to still stay in your own lane and just say, this is my journey. It's not his. And so how do you deal with that? Um. It's still a work in progress. Kind of like I mentioned in my drinking story, like that's kind of how our relationship started was a lot of events and connection around drinking. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's where we're still continuing to struggle is trying to find connection with each other outside of that. I mean, and 
like one of our big things was watching football. I'm a huge sports buff. I love all things sports, football in particular. Wait, who's your team? Are you talking NFL or, or college? College. Uh, so I, I, I went to the University of Virginia. So I, I watched okay. them. Um, my husband's Oklahoma State grad. So we watched them. I married into the Dallas Cowboys. Please no one uh, <laughs> get offended by that. <laughs> Most people love them or hate them. Well, I'm a Packers fan, so you know I hate them, but oh, I'm not holding yeah. it against you. It's allowed. It's allowed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I do fantasy football with my husband and DraftKings oh, so and fun. all that. But in my early sobriety, so obviously June and then the fall for football was right after that. I found it super triggering to like sit down with my husband while he was drinking, watching football. Yes. And so I kind of had to separate myself from it. So there's probably about a month, six weeks early in the football season where I was like, okay, I just can't do this, which I know kind of hurt his feelings a little bit. Um, and then by the time I circled back to it, I was kind of like, mm -mm, I've got other stuff I got to do other than sit here and watch football. <laughs> as much as I still love it, I was like, okay, I got, I'm kind of getting away from this a bit. So that's definitely been a challenge. But now that I'm really like more firmly planted in my sobriety, March Madness just came up and my husband and I had a blast watching some of the games together, me not drinking or me having a non-alcoholic beer while he's still drinking. We're slowly kind of finding different things to connect on. We're getting back into golf together. He finally is starting to acknowledge like I have other interests outside of sports. And um, so we're going to go to a concert in the fall together. Oh, good. Which one? Uh, Chris Stapleton is coming to oh, Dallas. Oh, I love so, him. Yeah, I'm really excited. Okay, and I'm not like a country guy, but I love him. He's not like the he's not like the twangy country, you yeah. know? Like he's like folksy kind of more and I love him. Yes. We're very excited. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still hard to navigate through him still drinking. Definitely been setting some boundaries up, one of which uh, is I've kind of put a blanket no intimacy if you are tipsy or drunk, which he's Still gets kind of pissy about, <laughs> especially when right. he is drunk and trying to get some. But it's been really good for me. He misinterprets it as like, I just don't want sex ever, uh, which is, I have to okay. remind him, is not the, the case. Right. It's, I just don't want your whiskey beer breath on me while we're being intimate. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's I can't stand that either. No, yeah. it's I think that that's a great boundary to set if you're listening and if your partner still drinks, because it feels unsafe, right? right. Like for me, it feels not only does it just is it not attractive, like drunk people just like even I like that you said tipsy and the fact that like you get to decide rather if he's tipsy or drunk, like mm -hmm. he doesn't get to decide that because I could see my husband being like, I'm not. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you would never know, you know, like, right. of course you can't tell. Yeah. But just like that whole thing is just like not attractive. Like I'm so attracted to my husband, but if he has like three drinks, I'm like, no, like yeah, you're not exactly. the same person. No, no, no. Yeah. That's a great boundary to set for sure. Yeah. And I think so the big thing is we're just trying to reconnect on different things outside of drinking. And and I think he's starting to examine his drinking more. I obviously wish he would do it a little bit at a faster pace, but everyone's pace is different. And 
he definitely like if he does pour one on he like forces himself up out of bed even though i know he feels like <laughs> absolute dog oh shit oh my god yes he's trying to like save face he's like exactly. no i'm fine and you're like you are so struggling <laughs> yeah so i i have a little bit of a giggle but then also like i'm personally still struggling with okay there's definitely been moments in my parenting and my motherhood of when i woke up feeling like absolute dog shit too and just um trying to give him that grace but we're we're working through it and he he still every once in a while will ask me so so when are, when is this over? Oh okay. N- not no we're we're just going to keep going. I don't know if it's forever. It's right now and I'm loving it. I'm got thinking about it the other day. I'm so excited to spend the time in the pool with my boys. Just oh, focused drinks you're not drinking and just focused on watching them swim and teaching them to swim instead of where's my next drink? How do I sneak in uh, another glass of wine? I'm excited about that. Oh, it's going to be great. Okay, so two things. I I love this idea that when you had to step back from football, it was like you weren't like, okay, now I can't do this. It was just like for now, I have to take a break from this because it's triggering to me. And you'll probably find that like this coming football season – you probably will love it again because you love football, you know, Mm -hmm. and football, it's hard to get into football in like the middle of the season. And so I love that you were able to just be like, right now, I have to take a break from this, but that doesn't mean that this is over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the idea of boundaries and also this question of forever. I always, I've been saying now, like if someone's like, is it forever? I'm like, well, it's for good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's, for good, like however you want to take that, but it's good. Like it's good over here. Yes. Oh my God. Is there anything else that you want to share or or tidbits and tips or tricks in your 10 months of sobriety? That's incredible. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Just kind of find what works for you. What works for one person uh, won't work for another. I'm Definitely um, was a little bit of a serial trier for a while. We're just trying a whole bunch of different things, whether it was arts and crafts, I'd pick up something for a little while and then put it down or tried yoga. I'm not a yoga person. I'm not a morning person. That didn't work for me. (laughs) Yeah. God bless Holly Whitaker and her like morning routine thing did not work for me. But I kind of found what worked for me was more like of a nighttime routine, like the winding down of the day. So kind of establishing some stuff there. So that's probably my only advice for people who are looking uh, new into sobriety is just be a serial trier for a while. Just try whatever you think feels good and just make it about feeling good and getting that dopamine hit from something else that's not alcohol. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than being able to discover ourselves and discover new things in adulthood. Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't stop once we reach 35 or 40 or 45, like we get to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Paige. Thank you. This is incredible. And I'm just so proud of you. I love to see you in the meetings and not just for your tech support, although I do (laughs) appreciate that so much. But I just, I love having you a part of this community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye.
Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.